0: You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Happiness is fashionable these days. Yet should we accept the common view that the new science of happiness has cemented the superiority of Scandinavian social democracy over Anglo-Saxon liberalism? The answer is no. The results are just as destructive to the pious certainties of progressives as to those of their opponents. Richard Laird of the London School of Economics in the UK's House of Lords produced an elegant, brief and influential exposition of the new doctrine two years ago. That doctrine itself, as he explains, is a modern reincarnation of Jeremy Bentham's utilitarianism. What is Professor Laird arguing? First, happiness is the sole goal of human activity. Second, happiness is measurable. Third, We know what makes people happy and unhappy. And finally, policy should aim at achieving the greatest happiness. We will then realise that, in his words, there is more to life than prosperity and freedom. Happiness is the right goal, he argues, because it is our overall motivational device. Moreover, he says, unlike all other goods, it is self-evidently good. Yet if aggregate happiness could be maximised at the expense of a minority, should we do it? If machine or drug-induced illusions could make people happy, should we force people to consume them? If we could genetically engineer human beings to be happier than they are, should we do so? The new utilitarianism cannot easily dispose of such difficult questions. Yet whatever one's views on utilitarianism as a philosophy, or happiness as an exact science, one can still address the broad conclusions of this analysis. Its most important negative conclusion is that beyond a certain threshold, extra wealth does not seem to make us any happier. In a society, richer people do tend to be happier than poorer ones, but the proportion of people saying they are very happy does not seem to rise over time. The explanation for this is partly that relative position in society matters, and still more, that we become used to prosperity. The positive conclusion is that we know what does make us happy – good family relationships, a sound financial situation, work, a trustworthy community, freedom from chronic pain and mental illness and personal liberty. Correspondingly, just six factors explain 80% of the variation in reported happiness – divorce, unemployment the level of trust in other members of society, membership of non-religious organisations, the quality of government and belief in God. Consider these points more closely. First, the results do not show that generous welfare states do better than less generous ones. Swedes and Americans seem to be equally happy. The Irish and British are happier than the French, Germans, Italians, Spanish and Japanese. The only reasonable conclusion from the evidence is that prosperous liberal democracies tend to be happier than other societies. Second, the results do not merely show that a rising gross national product may fail to raise happiness. They also show that increases in the size of the welfare state, improvements in life expectancy and other measures of health, and the liberation of women from household drudgery and coupled from the prisons of unhappy marriage have also failed to increase reported happiness. What is under challenge, then, is modernity itself not a competitive market economy alone. Professor Layard makes that clear in his comments on the decline of community and the family and the rise of individualism, crime and television. A Conservative could easily read this book, agree with the analysis, and reach policy conclusions that are almost the polar opposite of those stressed by a good social democrat, such as Professor Layard. Professor Layard's conclusions are, are however, rather different from those of any such putative Conservative. Tame the rat race, he says, by taxing excessive effort, increase economic security and promote mental health through cognitive therapy and modern drugs. If cognitive therapy and drugs can treat severe mental illness effectively, they do seem worth promoting. For the economists, then, it is the economic policies that are most questionable. Professor Layard argues that higher income is a route to higher status, but higher status for some is always lower status for others. So this is what economists call an externality. That externality should be taxed, he argues, just like any other form of pollution. One answer to this is that effort is already taxed quite heavily in Western societies. Another is that if monetary status is discouraged, people will seek status on other and often more damaging dimensions, power being a particularly dangerous example. Yet another answer is that it is far from obvious why differences in status become increasingly disturbing as income differentials increase. The fact that someone is one's boss or has a more prestigious position in society is a big enough difference on its own. Furthermore, how far should we pursue this opposition to status? Why not abolish all indications of superior performance, from class degrees to Nobel Prizes? Finally, is it not evidence that the search for status also has positive externalities? Innovations of all kinds, for example. In all, these arguments for more progressive taxation seem weak. This is less true of what Professor Layard says on economic security. While policies that raise unemployment are harmful to happiness under any plausible assumptions, there is no reason to abandon the welfare state's most important achievements, universal health insurance, state-funded education and security in old age. Where, then, does this new line of analysis take us? Personally, I find its philosophical and scientific underpinnings far from persuasive. But even if one goes along with them, the implications for policy seem far more ambiguous than social democrats believe. The findings are an assault on modernity itself, not just the forms of modernity the left dislikes. I also see little here to undermine the core principles of classical liberalism. People should be largely free to make their own choices, mindful of their obligations to others, except where those choices are clearly harmful. Gross domestic products should not be the overriding objective of policy. A big effort should be made to eliminate extreme poverty from the world, and the state should focus on remedying harms while avoiding adding to them. But governments cannot make us happy. Happiness is something we have to pursue, and perhaps never find, for ourselves. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.